Well, good morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at ABF. You don't know me. And uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I grew up in Agora, uh, right across Canyon Road in Hill, on, in Hill Rise, the, the area right behind Vaughn's. And um, one thing you definitely, I, unless you were here last service, don't know about me is that I was a paper boy growing up. Do you remember paper boys? Anyone remember paper? Paper boys. Not paper men that drive cars and drive around, but paper boys. Yeah, I was, I was a paper boy. And um, I had the, the privilege, and this was before child labor laws and things like that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I, I would drive for several years, uh, ride my bike after school. I'd load up my, uh, my little News Chronicle. Anyone News Chronicle bag? Yeah, News Chronicle before it was the Ventura County Star. And uh, load them up with papers and ride around the neighborhood and deliver to, to different houses and, and things like that. And, and then once a month go and collect those, those uh, you know, that ordered it. I'd collect the money. I think it was like seven bucks a month or something like that. But um, for every day. I was like, wow, that's really cheap. But today it's like a dollar a day or something. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But you get it on the internet. Um, but the one thing that I enjoyed about, about rainy days is my parents took pity upon me and uh, would allow me to throw my newspapers out of our car. They'd drive me around. And we had, we grew up in luxury, okay? We had a 1984 Ford uh, Crown Victoria Country Squire station wagon, right? You know what I'm talking about? Station wagon with the, with the fake wood paneling along the side, right? And this was, this was the first car that we had that had power windows. Yeah. And the back window for the station wagon, you actually got to use the key and you could turn it and it would turn down, you know, roll down and then you could climb. We never climbed in through the door. We always climbed in through the window. We'd roll down the window and, and climb in. And that's where I would go into the back, which the back had seats that opened up from the floor, the floor of the station wagon area, opened up to two seats that faced each other. It was the coolest thing ever. And uh, so you'd open those up, and this was, you know, before, before you know, shoulder restraint, seat belts, and all that. I didn't wear seat belts when I was throwing newspapers. I was sitting on the back window. I'd grab papers from down below, and I'd be hucking them left and hucking them right as we're driving down the street. And uh, it was just a blast. That car was amazing. And, and Ford decided that they wanted to make these vehicles with vinyl seats, yeah? So that you would know when it was summertime because you sit on them and your rear would just burn like crazy, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I also grew up in an era when kids had the potential of sitting in the front seat, right? It was before airbags. I mean, airbags, come on, airbags was... It was like your arm, mother's arm coming across, slamming your chest as you're coming to a stop, right? And uh, you bruises and everything. Uh, but I say potential because I grew up with a younger sister. And see, as most siblings, you always vie for the front seat for shotgun. Because you want to be close to that air conditioning vent that's right there, especially during the summer, right? And so, you know, I just remember name calling and, and battle royale happening in the garage as we're getting ready to go places. And uh, just the fight, you know, and then it was like, okay, well, you get every other day, and mom's memory would never remember, you know, which day was which, and, you know, so you got to play it, and, no, she totally had it yesterday, and, you know, I get it today, and, and uh, just the, the battle. We've all faced in our lives arguments, disagreements with someone else. We've all had our own interests and their interests collide with each other. When their world and their desires and our world and our desires come crashing into one another. 
Take, for example, you may have already experienced the, this, this phenomenon this morning where you're getting ready to come here to church. You know, you want to get ready, and you're out the door, and you're waiting in the car, and someone, I'm not going to say who, is in the house, and you're waiting for them, going, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, let's, we're already through worship, come on, let's get going. And your, your desire to get there on to church on time, and their desire. Or you have a desire of driving down the 101 in safety and not having to, you're driving, you know, 65 miles an hour, inches from other vehicles with drivers, and you know who they are, right? They're the ones that are still talking on their cell phones, even though it's illegal, and they're just slumping down a little bit farther and trying to hide it, but everyone knows what they're doing. Or they're texting, and they've just got it a little bit lower, which is, makes it even more dangerous because they're all slumped down driving, right? And to add to that, they're either the ones that are, that are eating while they're driving, and you know they've got the Big Mac and the fries in one hand, they're driving with their knees, they're putting on their makeup, right? They're just driving down the road. Inches from your car that you're trying to get someplace safe and sound, and they're driving there. I'm not picking up... Guys in theater can wear makeup too, so, you're right, or movies, I don't know, they put makeup on. Um, huh? Sh sh I have, oh, I get the electric, yeah. I was like, wow, shaving cream and all that, that'd be scary. Um, but, the, but we also have it in our homes, right? How about in your marriage? How about this past week, guys? You have the remote control, the power in the house, right? And you are wanting to watch the NC2A tournament that's taking place, and she wants to watch American Idol, Right? or Dancing with the Stars, or something, or America's Top Chef, or whatever it is now, the reality. And there's a struggle there. There's power in the remote control. I, I don't know why God created it that way, but there's something in that remote control that brings power. Or how about when you see a Saturday coming up, and you see it being wide open, and you're going, man, I get to relax and sit back, and man, I'll just go and hang out. And your wife gives you that, that look, that we all know as husbands. And it's that look of, have you seen the honeydew list lately? I see that Saturday being honeydew list day. And your world and her world collide. We all face this tension. We all face this, this battle in our lives. How about in parenting? If you have young kids like I do, you come home from a long day at work, and you're wanting just to sit back in your garden and watch your, your, your plants grow. I have a garden, yes. Um, I've been posting it on Facebook. I have a garden. I, I really enjoy my gardening. And uh, I'm eating from my garden. I ate potatoes this week that I grew. I grew them. It was awesome. Um, and a strawberry. I had to split four ways. It was like the sliver. It was crazy. A single strawberry. It was awesome. But this is the thing. I love going out in the garden. I get home and it's like, hey, your kid in our garden has homework. Go help her with the homework. Or, Daddy, can we go throw the ball? Or, Daddy, can we wrestle? Or, Daddy, I want to play with you. Daddy, come color with me. We all face that tension. That disagreement of what's going to happen. Or how about with parenting, like I faced, is that there's a puppet show. That's using some of the good sheets, you know, like the billion thread count or whatever. I don't know thread count, but, you know, and, and then they want to use your good socks as puppets for this puppet show. Oh, 
and they want to do a performance for you. Or how about at work? When you're looking forward to leaving early on a Friday afternoon, getting away for a long weekend, and your boss comes to you and says, about that, I need that TPS report done today. Can you get that done? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And you're going, I'm trying to get out of town. I've got a family. I want to get home. Or how about that person that works next to you, that coworker? that sits in the cubicle next to you and you value your silence and getting your work done and they have the sniffles. You all right over there? Yeah, I'm fine. Why? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? We all, and you're going... And then, you know, you have the weird sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I won't go there. I won't go there. But we all face this tension. When our desires and our wants come up against and oppose someone else's desires or needs. I think God knew that this was going to happen in our lives as the church. I think God expected that, and he talks about it. Because when you think about a church... We face those same tensions with different people in the church. How about those that enjoy hymns for worship versus those that want something rock and roll? How about someone that prefers and wants verse-by-verse teaching and someone else that enjoys a topical message? I don't know about you, but let me get a little more personal here at ABF. How about the next senior pastor and what you want Versus what the person next to you wants in that next senior pastor. And let me share it a different way. The next senior pastor is my boss. Right? So I go, well, I should have a say in who it is, right? You know? I don't care about what you want. I want someone that I'm going to get along with, right? There's the tension. Even in the church. And God, being smart, knew that this was going to happen, and he talks about it in Scripture. If you open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at 11 verses today, and try to understand the answer of what do we do when our world and our desires collide with someone else's. If you use one of the blue Bibles underneath the seats, it's on page 831. I always find that interesting about sending you to Philippians chapter 2, because it's like, hey, open up a book, and it's 66 books. So a lot of people are like, where is it? What's going on? And Philippians, who's that? And page 831 is where it's found in the blue ones. And we're going to look at one chapter of the letter written to the Philippian church by Paul. This was a church that he loved, and he's bound in chains. And over the last couple of weeks, you've heard about his suffering taking place. And now he gets to a place where he's talking to this church, his family, his friends, these people that he loves and cares for. And he opens it up this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He opens it up trying to appeal to the people here. And he says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit 
If any tenderness and compassion. Do you see what he's done here? It's awesome. I love it. He just broadens this out. And he goes, hey, if you have accepted Christ in your life and you're following Jesus, if you have even had any comfort from his love, if you've seen any Christian around you that's loved you, that you've seen his love flow through, and if you've been united with his spirit, if you are on the same track as us, and then he goes, heck, if you have any tenderness or compassion or a heart beating in your chest, this is for you. Then make my joy complete by being really nice to each other. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Some of your translations may say, by being one in mind and thought. Now, I don't know how many Star Trek fans we have out there, but if you know the Star Trek, you know the Borg. The Borg were these mechanical objects that were controlled by a single computer, and everyone shared the same thoughts of everyone that was assimilated, right? And we all had the... the we. I said we. Wow, I said we. I've watched them. I'm a Trekkie. All right. Um, but if they were assimilated, they were assimilated. It's a show. It's fake. They shared the same consciousness. The thoughts were throughout. And I'm going, Paul, what are you saying here? If we have a heart beating in our chest and we're here, we're part of the church, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by being one in thought and mind with others around you. How does that happen? When my thoughts and my desires and my wants and everything I want is different from the person sitting next to me. He answers it this way, and I want to give it to you this way because I've really been hashing it out this week and, and really refining it to a simple phrase. If you disagree, remember humility. I know it rhymes. It's kind of cute. If you disagree, remember humility. God wants us, and he uses Paul to share it here, to be of one mind. And he goes on to even add to that and describe it, saying, having the same love. That we have the same love for each other, for the city that we sang about, for these people that we're praying for. That we have the same love and that we are being one in spirit and purpose. What's your purpose? What's the purpose of the person next to you? As followers of Christ, Jesus makes it very clear that we are called to make disciples, baptize and teaching them to obey everything that he has taught. That's what this, this painting is all about. A few weeks ago I shared and we, we came up and we wrote these names up on this beautiful painting as a commitment to praying for more disciples, to praying for fruit. And folks, we have fruit. It's just begun. But how are you doing on praying for them? How are you doing on praying to see these names of people come to know the Lord? It's been a difficult one for me. But this is something I think we need to embrace because this is what he's saying is that we need to be of one mind. We need to be of the same love. 
That's what he wants from us. When we disagree, though, remember humility. And he goes and shares it this way. He says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, oftentimes I've read this portion of Scripture and gone, Oh, that's for the models that are vain and stand in front of the mirror for too long and, and primp and wear designer clothes. Not for me. They're doing things out of you know, vanity, vain, right? And, and ambition and, you know, oh, it's the Wall Street guys that are all about the money and, and they're ambitious and they're wanting to climb that corporate ladder and it's all about them, not me. But how many times have I done things in my marriage? Where I say, hey, I'm doing this to serve my wife. I'm going to wash these dishes. I'm going to vacuum this house. I'm going to take the kids off her hands and, and I'm going to take care of them and, and give her... I'm going to go to the spa, darling. Go. Go get those, those manicure, pedicure, whatever they're called things. And go have some fun. I want to serve you. But deep down in my heart, I'm going, I hope I get something in return. I'm doing it out of selfish ambition. Not out of a pure love and care and service. Even though I say I'm doing it that way, it oftentimes becomes, what can I get out of this? We look at our culture today. And we look at that fact of marriage and we look around and we go, huh, 50% divorce rate. What does that add up to? Adds up to the fact of, you're supposed to give me what I need. You're supposed to give me, oh, I can't find it here? Okay, we're going to get a divorce. I'm going to go find it somewhere else. Or, I can't find it here in this relationship so I'm going to go find someone while I'm married to you that meets those needs because it's all about me. I call it the Finding Nemo Syndrome. Anyone seen Finding Nemo? You know, the, the, the seagulls? What are they saying all the time? Mine? Very good. That was, that was excellent. Well done. Well done. Mine? 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 It's more higher. It's higher pitch. But the, it's all about me and mine and what I want. Not what she wants or what she needs. Selfish ambition. What am I going to get out of this? That's often the question we ask, isn't it? Someone asks us to do something, what am I going to get out of it? We almost learn this as a, as a small child. Katie, my daughter, make your bed. Why? What am I going to get out of it? Do I get an allowance? Are you going to pay me to do it? How much? Do we get to go to Disneyland? We learn this at a small age of doing things with the intent of what do I get out of it? Not out of a pure service or pure love for the other person. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What about the workplace? What about what you do each and every day? Are you putting yourself and your needs above your coworkers? Maybe to make yourself look better? 
the term being thrown under the bus. Does that ring a bell with anyone? Not my fault, it's their fault. They did that. It's all about me. I was reading an interesting article by Michael Hyatt. He's the chairman of uh, Nelson Publishing, Thomas Nelson Publishing. And he wrote about one of his business managers and the reports that he wrote, and one specifically when they didn't reach their monthly goals. He wrote his report in such a way of, I did not meet the goals this month. I did this, and I understand this, and I'm going to work harder with my team to do this. He took the responsibility. Are we doing things out of selfish ambition? Are we casting off all their needs for our own? And then he gives a but. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but. What does he want us to do? Look at verse 3 with me. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Ooh. What would the world be like if we treated people as if they were better than us? What if we treated our neighbor better than us? But it's not just that, because it's not just consider others better than yourselves. He has these two words right before that. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Because see, Paul knows, and God knows, and used Paul to write this, because when we try to consider others better than ourselves, it's a difficult task. When we want to meet the needs of other people, it's a hard thing to do, because we have our own needs, and we have our own agenda, and we want to do our own things. But he uses these two words, in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. When you disagree, remember humility. Because it takes humility. It takes being humble to put their needs ahead of your own. My wife, and I've been given permission to share this, loves to talk about the moment that I put my head on the pillow. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm getting ready for bed. I'm all ready. Hop into bed. I'm about to roll over. I've set the alarm for the next morning. And that's the time she wants to talk about her feelings. What? No. Let's do this another time, not now. Don't you realize we have a few short hours of sleep here? We have young children that are going to be up early or up multiple times in those short hours that we're going to be sleeping. My needs, I want to sleep. Her needs of wanting to connect and talk and share her feelings and hear from me as well. My feelings and more than, how was your day? Fine. That's often what we share. As guys, how you doing? Good. How was your day? Fine. 
What'd you do? Stuff. <laughs> right? How did it make you feel? Good. I, you know what I'm saying? That's how we relate. But this is the moment that she chooses to have a conversation. And oftentimes, those conversations are some of the biggest. So what do you think we should do in five years? Five years? I want to sleep. Where do you think God has us going in life? To bed. <laughs> it takes humility for me to step back and realize, you know what? I can sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> this relationship is far more important to connect, to be united in love, to show her not out of things I'm going to get for this, but to show her that I love her and I care about her and I want to know her. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. He goes into that and he finishes it off with a repeat. In verse 4, he says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then Paul decides to write a song. I love it. I've never realized that, but this is an actual hymn written by Paul, and I'm going to sing it to you right now. No, I'm not going to sing it. No, I'm not. But let's read it together. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God Something to be grasped. Do you read that? Jesus Christ, being God, did not consider equality something to be grasped. That term grasped is the idea of being held onto so tightly that you cannot release it. Some of us, it's our pride. For some of us, our money. But Jesus had deity, was omnipresent, was in perfect unity with the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit, with Father God, all of them. And Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to so tightly that he wasn't willing to give it up. But what does it say? He released it. Verse 7, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He turned himself into a human. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Real good about being a human, huh? Compared to God, we're nothing. Do we realize that? Oftentimes I don't. Oftentimes my prayer are, God, you don't realize what you're doing. You're not doing it the right way because I know the right way. Here at church, hey, the next senior pastor, I know better than you do, God. It's been a long time, God, since we've had a full-time senior pastor. You don't know what you're doing, God. And I talk to him as if I'm an equal. But I'm nothing. And Jesus, being the perfect example of humility poured himself out, emptied himself 
became nothing, took the form of a servant, and became a human. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a human, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, he didn't just pour himself out and become a human, which would have been a huge task and a huge doing in and of itself. But he was so committed to putting our needs above his own that he became obedient to death. And not just death, but a death on a cross. One that we're going to be celebrating, thanking him for on Good Friday. We're going to be memorializing that death in his humility he became obedient to death Jesus didn't want to do that in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus is praying there right before he's arrested he's praying God take this cup from me I don't want to die I don't want to go through this but he says but not my will Not what I want, but what you want. When you disagree, remember humility. Jesus is the perfect example of that. And then Paul ends, and I'm going to consider this to be the chorus, because the chorus is the upbeat, jazzy part. It's awesome, it's rocking, drums are playing. I mean, I was going to have Chad write music to this. I'm going, dude, I've given you lyrics, just write music to it. I don't know. He said it's like really hard to do that, but I don't know. (laughs) Just create music out of nothing. Just do it. I've given you the lyrics. Verse 9, he says, Therefore, because he's done this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I could dance to this song. There's something to that. When you realize that Jesus being the perfect example of humility, the perfect example of unity with God the Father, showing this to us, that He is exalted. He is brought to a place far higher and greater His name will cause everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth to bow their knee to his lordship and confess with their lips that he is Lord because he showed us the perfect example of humility. So what do we do with that? When we disagree, remember humility. We've been told by Paul to do this, and he's written a song describing Jesus, the perfect example of what we're to do. But what does this look like tomorrow at work? How do you put the needs of your coworkers ahead of your own? 
How do you humble yourself to your coworkers, to your boss? Maybe some apologies need to take place. Maybe you need to actually humble yourself and apologize that there are things that you're grasping onto and holding onto. I am right. They are wrong. And just like Jesus, the perfect example, did not hold equality with God, something to be grasped. He let go. He humbled himself. Maybe that's what needs to take place in your life. How about in your marriage? I'll speak to the men specifically in here that are married. How are you loving your wife and putting her needs above your own? Not out of trying to get something back from it, but how are you loving her and serving her in such a way that is honoring Christ and that you're not getting anything out of Maybe for some of you, you're at a point in your marriage where you need to step up as a man in the relationship and apologize. You need to step up and humble yourself and do some repair work that's gone far too long and the foundation has gone far, far long unattended to. And some repair work needs to take place. How about as parents? Chad mentioned earlier this week as we were talking about this passage, his desire to go jogging. He loves to jog. He loves to exercise. But his kids want to come along with him. Kids coming along on a workout changes the workout. (laughs) Right? Especially when they want to ride their bikes. It changes that. But Chad has had to humble himself. Say, you know what? I'm willing to give up my need to go out and get the most exercise that I can so that I can teach my kids what a love of a father looks like. Have them come along with me and join me on this quest for health and working out. Spending time with them. He's not able to have his music plugged in all the time while he's out for the jog because he's having to pay attention to them. He's having to have conversations with them. Maybe for some of us as parents, we need to take our kids out on dates. Teach them what it's like to date. Humble ourselves and go to Denny's and try to have a conversation with a five or six-year-old. It's difficult. When was the last time You got the little sheet at the restaurant while you're on your date and started coloring with your kids or grandkids. How about at church? Where do you need to humble yourself in order to meet the needs of someone else here? If we're going to be like-minded, if we're going to be unified Maybe there are some apologies that need to take place. Some humility that needs to take place in us. So that we can love someone else in this church. And get right with them before we move ahead. 
We need to be a unified force for Jesus. Can you imagine what this church could be like if we were unified, putting others' needs ahead of our own? And let me make it a little more personal. What if we took these names and we thought about this week, how can we put their needs ahead of our own? Maybe our need to share Christ with them has become too much. We actually just need to love them. Maybe there's some people on here that we need to have conversations with this week. And those are going to be hard conversations, but we need to look inside of us and go, you know what? If God is willing to step down out of heaven and pour himself out and become like us and die a painful death, I can go have coffee with the person that I have had struggle with, but I'm praying for. God's really challenged me in the area of connecting with these people. It's not enough just to pray, but it's actually having a conversation with them. One of the couples that I have written up there, one of my neighbors. And I've been going, well, how do I have a conversation? How do I bring that up? How do I... Maybe our need to be liked needs to be subservient to their need for Jesus Christ. And maybe we think that they're going to somehow not like us because we share what we believe. And that's become something where our world and our needs and our desires to be liked and to be wanted is colliding with their need for a Savior. That's what I've been approached with. And this last week, my neighbors invited me to come to one of their seders and be a part of their Passover celebration. And I'm going, I haven't invited them to Easter. And our Easter celebration. Well, I've got to now. My needs and my desires of trying to figure out a way, God's showing me going, okay, you're not going to do it here. They're going to invite you. Are you going to step up now? Yeah. What could this church be like if we were unified of one mind, one heart, one purpose? I'm so excited about what God has for us. And I hope you are too. And I hope that we're all striving to live more and more like Jesus Christ and that when we face adversity and troubles, we remember humility. That when we disagree, remember humility. Let me pray. God, you love us so much. And in this time leading up to Palm Sunday, to Good Friday, to Easter, you desire from us a unity of mind, of heart. And you've given us the perfect example of that. You paid the ultimate price 
so that you could woo our hearts back to yours. Not demand it, but lovingly and longingly wooing us back to you. God, your heart for us is that we would be united. That we would do life with each other. Not out of a, how can, what can I get out of this? But out of a, what can I do for you? God, help us in those times where we disagree. When we come to places in our life where our world and our desires, our wants hit and collide with someone else's. Help us to humble ourselves and follow you in all that we do. May you be given the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. the words up so you can read them, but we um, wanted to sing one of our old songs for you guys, just as kind of a meditation, as an offering. This is called As I Am.
process. And if you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you afterwards up here at the front and allow God to speak to you, to use you this week as you move ahead. To humble yourself. To reconcile relationships. To bring unity where there was brokenness. So if you'd like that, I'll be up here at the front and would love to pray for you. Would you rise for the benediction? A priestly blessing I leave you with. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And even when you disagree, Remember humility. God bless you and have a great week. Don't float away. Bye.